It's a Sunday sermon for May the 16th, and we hope you're having a blessed day today. Again, just encourage you, if you want to get in touch with us, go to our Facebook page, uh, message us there, email us at newlandchristianchurch at gmail.com. If you want to get in touch with us and, and, and talk with us about anything, we would love to hear from you. Uh, but again, hope everybody having a blessed Sunday. So we're going to continue our conversation this morning about Genesis. We're in Genesis 14 now. We finished 13, uh, but the, the, we're going to go through a couple of chapters here. The conversation today is going to be one. There's two amazing accounts in these two chapters um, with Abram, uh, but we, we get an account of how he, he absolutely rolled a whole army, 318 men. And the second is our first real glimpse of uh, someone that I've talked about before, but I want to really touch on uh, today, and that is Melchizedek and who he is and um, what that situation is. But as we go through this, we're going to see some of these things played out, uh, but you know the the text today is Genesis chapter fourteen. Now I'm I'm not going to read all of the text as I've got two chapters for us to look at, but I'm going to hit some highlights and some high points for us as we do go through that. Uh, but Genesis fourteen, we'll start in verse one, and uh, you know there's a whole lot of names here. Basically, I'm I'm just gonna again hit the highlights. The first twelve verses of the chapter you kind of get this the the kings around the dead sea paying tribute to the kings around north palestine you get the kings rebelling the kings from the north invading through the modern day jordan uh what's now the modern day jordan and the east side of the jordan river and the battle took place to the north of sodom in a valley on the southeast corner of the Dead Sea. And then after the battle, the armies took their loot and their prisoners and hightailed it all the way to the northern portion of Israel to the city of Dan. And there's actually parts of that taking place there. Now, in that battle, in verse 12, we do see, and they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelled in Sodom and his goods and departed. So they, they kidnapped Lot. Well, that's a lot of trouble, right? Now, at this time, Abram would have lived near Hebron. And in verse 13, it says, And there came one that had escaped and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre, or Mamre the Amorite, uh, brother of uh, Eshkel and the brother of Anir. And these were confederate with Abram. And when they had heard, when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants born in his own house at 318 and pursued them into Dan. Now, he divided himself against them and his servants by night and smote them and pursued them into Hobah which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods and also again his brother Lot and his goods and the women also and the people. 
So we see that he takes care of this situation. But he, he led forth his trained men. And, and it's 318 men in an army. He trained them himself. So what we see here is that we get this fantastic story about how Abram takes these 318 guys. Now, they didn't have standing armies, but they were trained. And when war came, they beat their plowshares into swords. They would go and do what needed to be done. And now it's a it's a journey from where he's at. Hebron to Dan would have been hundreds of miles. Most likely the king of the north or the kings of the north thought they had long outrun any pursuers. And they were busy getting drunk and, and partying about their spoils and their shares and the things that they had pulled off of this. When Abram descended upon them by surprise under the cover of night. Now I find it interesting that after being treated pretty poorly by Lot, Abram risks his life. And he could have said, well, Lot chose his own course. He chose where he went. He could have said that. But look, it's a mark of Abram's leadership of what Abraham was going to become. We see maturity in him here. It's a mark of leadership knowing when to get involved and doing it decisively. He was not willing to let Lot suffer. Verses 19 and 20, if we skip down to those, then um, we then get something interesting here. But I do find it interesting that Abram chose to go after him. Uh, we, we get that he divided forces against them and defeated them. And then he returns and he has spoils, verses 19 and 20. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God, most high possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God, most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Now, what we don't read here, I just read a couple of verses, but what is happening here is it's important to be blessed. And in the culture, the more important blessed, the less important. And Melchizedek here blesses Abram. And it's a very unusual character, Melchizedek. It says here, after his return from the defeat of uh, Shedelamar and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God. That's all we get of Melchizedek. He's a very unusual character. He's a Gentile, possibly a Canaanite, but he was a priest and in fact was apparently Abram's priest. Now Salem would have been the old Jerusalem. It would have been the original Salem. So you can kind of know where we're talking about here, but he brings out bread and wine. Does that remind you of something? Think about it. He brings out bread and wine. Where else in our faith do we use bread and wine? Hebrews chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, we actually see that Jesus was not an Aaronic priest, but a priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
It means that we are connected to Abram beyond the Mosaic law. Now, there's questions um, that many have asked over the years, but I don't know the right answer here. Um, But Melchizedek doesn't appear to be Jesus. Um, Maybe he is the angel of the Lord, which we see in times, which would be the pre-incarnate Christ, in my opinion. But Abram tithes to the king or the priest. So he really is a pastor. He's the king. He is a priest. And Abram is instructed to tithe and he tithes to him. He gives him a tenth of everything. Now, when we see the words angel of the Lord, we recognize that to be maybe the pre-incarnate Christ in the Old Testament. But here we have Melchizedek who has no beginning and no end. And if we turn to Hebrews 7, um, we get to see some of these things here. But in Hebrews 7, um, verses 21 and following. This one was made priest by an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. Um, Melchizedek offered bread and wine here in verses 21 uh, and following. But who was this guy Melchizedek? I mean, if we go back to the beginning for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, and he is also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother in genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever so you kind of get this contrast in other words what it may mean here is that the genealogy is not recorded what it may also mean uh, that it contrasts with christ but listen to what happens in if we go back in this text to um, the verses here 21 and following And the king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lift up mine hand to the Lord, the most high God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread, even to a shoal kit. And I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say I have made Abram rich, save only that which the young men have eaten and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Now, what's going on here? He is saying, none of this is mine. Melchizedek offered bread and wine in the acknowledgement that is that God was most high, rescued Lot and delivered the enemies into Abram's hands. So the king of Sodom offers booty. He offers these things to him, probably with strings attached in the acknowledgement that it was Abram's effort that got him the victory. But it's a clear contrast between serving God and serving the world because Abram immediately says, I don't need those things. But submitting yourself to the ungodly versus giving back to God and submitting to him is what's taking place here. Well, what is Abram doing? He gives it back to God. He says, none of this is mine. Keep what you will. I'm not taking it. 
It really is tempting when the world puts it right out in front of you. It dangles it on a string and says, come and take. But there's strings attached, right? But it's a false promise. The world makes false promises to us all day long. And they give us this hope because of what they see us do. But the reality simply is this. He's saying, I lifted up my hand to the Lord. God, most high possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you say I have made Abram rich. In other words, he recognizes that there is the possibility of a caveat. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, you know, it basically says that he, um, you know, we see that he chose to be mistreated. Um, If I go back to that text um, here in Hebrews 11, um, verses 24 and 25, we see in the text there uh, talking about Abraham or talking about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. What does that tell us about our walk with Christ. What does it tell us about a a Christian life? It tells us that as Paul told the Corinthians, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. I will not allow those things to take control of me. We can see in the world today that material things have control of our lives. And Titus Titus chapter three, you know, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of of God, our savior appeared, he saved us. Abram wouldn't accept anything from Sodom. A stand that we should take when it comes to worldly gain. When the world offers you something, eat your share, but never take more than you need. Abram told the king to let the men have what they'd eaten. Payment for their duties, if you will, but no rewards, no strings attached. He didn't want to see them turn their back on God because of the great worldly gain that was being offered. And what comes of that? What blessing is of that? Well, the reality is, is we get to verse one of chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now in verse 1, why would Abram be afraid? Maybe he's afraid that the kings of the north would return. Maybe he's worried that he hadn't gotten the promise of the offspring that God had told him about just a couple uh, chapters earlier in Genesis. Or maybe even the promised land he hadn't been in for a decade now. Sometimes we're fearful, especially after we go through something big. We become fearful of what that means next. 
Paul found himself in a similar situation in Corinth after he left the Jews and he rented a hall next door. In Acts 18, starting in verse 9, it says, One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. So what does God tell Abram here? He says, I will be your shield. I will be your sword. I'll protect you from the kings coming back and I'm still the source of your blessing. So is it okay to serve God for a reward? Yes, it is because God is the one doing the rewarding. Hebrews 11 says that we must believe that God is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So as we look at this, we've got to know first that God is. Believe him as Abram did. God is. We've got to believe his word. Second, we know that we are going to be rewarded. The difference is if we only served for what we want out of it, instead of believing and serving to get what God would give us. We serve many times hoping that we get the reward that we want. What God is asking us to do is serve for the reward that he's going to give. But in verses two and three, Abram then questions God. He apparently there's a way in those days to give your estate to a slave or someone of your household. And so what he's doing, he's saying, you promise a reward, but either I don't know what it is or you haven't given me what I thought you were going to. And is it okay for us to question God in that way? Absolutely. God, what I am doing, what am I doing that you don't want to see me coming about the things that I thought were going to happen, right? Well, verses four through six, he says, no, your little plan here is not my answer. He answers Abram and says, the plan you have is not my plan. And he reiterates the promise again. He takes him outside and he says, I am the Lord, your God. He says, how am I supposed to know that I shall possess it? He said, bring me a heifer three years old, female goat three years old, a ram three years old, and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but did not cut the birds in half. When the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possession. So he's, he's making promises. But how could God take Abram outside? Well, maybe this is that angel of the Lord we were talking about, right? But either way, God takes him outside and tells him what's to come. In chapter 13, God had Abram look around at the earth and said, your offspring will be greater than the dust of the earth. And he's already told him. He, he, and, and so when he's asking these questions, God's simply reminding him of a promise using maybe a different illustration. Look at verse 6. There's something about verse 6 I want to look at. And he believed the Lord and counted it to him as righteousness. 
Something changed after God took him out and showed him these things. Something changed after God reiterated these promises to him. God could have done it without his belief, but the fact that Abram had faith is what God in what God said means something here. In Romans chapter 4 verses 1 through 6, Paul uses the same story to tell us that even though we don't do anything, we can still be saved simply by believing what God said. Acts 16:31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. So verses 7 and 8, was it bad to ask God for a sign? No, Abram didn't have anything to go on. We have the Bible. We don't need the signs. We have the Bible, the prophets, and all the things that God has done. We have seen it over and over and over again. But Abram asked for a sign. Then we get to verse 9, and we see that he said to him, Bring me a heifer and all this. And we go through all of these things, and we see the story that's happening here. But this might be something that seems very strange to us, but it was common in those days. There's several things here that we need to understand. First, covenant actually comes from the word to cut. And thus, cutting the animals in half is the covenant. It's a covenant that that he brings them together. He says, it, it basically saying, I should be like these animals if I break this covenant. But God was the only one who walked through. God is doing this without Abram's help, just as he saves us without our assistance. And Abram was terrified. Sometimes God has to really impress upon us in order to get our attention. But God says that they will go into a foreign land for the exact time that they were in Egypt. He tells him there's something coming. This is going to happen. And then at the end, you will see that they go into that land. Basically, the sins of the Amorites have not yet reached full measure, is what the scripture says. They shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. That was the Canaanite people. God is a very patient God. He gave that people plenty of time to repent, but they didn't. Even though God's justice appears to move slowly, it is thorough. But I want us to understand something today. It says, When the sun go, had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Ken." Kenizzites, the Cabmanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. He made him a promise of the land that was there. And he said, it was theirs. Look, if you surround yourself with sin, you suffer consequences. Lot got carried away with the sins in Sodom and he was taken away he was kidnapped abram went after and brought him back he went back to sodom but look we don't go into a monastery we don't go into hiding we don't do all those things but we also don't tie ourselves to the world so that we are indistinguishable to the enemy had lot been living a life he might not have been taken 
the reality is we don't live like the world. We don't look like the world and we aren't impressed by the world. The world will offer us things that they say we can't get anywhere else. But Abram resisted. He resisted the gifts of the world, the, the king of Sodom. He resisted those things. And it's okay to be afraid as long as we turn to God for answers. Notice the spiritual maturity of Abram in these circumstances. He's finally brought himself around to having faith and going to God first. God has already done it all for you before. Why not believe him to do it again? But he's already done it all. Let's just be honest. That timeline thing. Do you believe it? Do you believe that God has already done it? That it will already be done and it is already taken care of? Do you believe that today? Recognize that realize that and know that you have been provided for and will be provided for know that God is working on your behalf but we've got to know that those battles we can go into battle with 318 men and fight a world fight against everyone and win solely by having the Lord on our side but then we must honor him in the victory honor him with the spoils honor him as we commit back to him the covenant but remember the covenant he made. And he's made a covenant with us through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ's blood is the covenant with us. It is a new covenant. It's a covenant that is made that we will one day be brought to life with him in that place. So where's your head at today? Are you afraid? It's okay. If you're afraid, give it to God. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. Seek him. Go to him first, not last. But seek him today while he may be found. We're going to close in prayer. But if you have a decision to make, please make it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity once again to come before you. Lord, I thank you that you have offered us stories like Abram where we can see how spiritual maturity happens, how we grow in you, how you bring us from one thing into this, into the realization of who you are. God, help us to see it. Help us to recognize it. Help us to go with you through it. Lord, continue to lead us, guide us, and direct us. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to know you today. And I pray, Lord, that you would bless any who hear this message. Go with us, lead us, and direct us, Lord. We pray these things now in your holy, precious, and wonderful name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for our services here on the Newland Christian Church Daily Devotional Podcast. This is our weekend service. You are welcome to join us. We have Sunday school at 10 a.m., service at 11 on Sunday mornings. Sunday evenings, we meet at 6 p.m., and on Wednesday evenings, we meet at 6 p.m. Every service is also streamed live on our Facebook page. You can get more information about Newland Christian Church at newlandchristianchurch.com or facebook.com slash newlandchristianchurch. Hope you have a blessed day in the Lord.